0: Good morning, if we haven't met yet, my name is Dallas Green. I want to, we're going to be in Mark chapter 11 this morning. So I want to invite you to our YouVersion app. It's uh, under Grace Community Church Event, if you want to follow along online. Uh, if you need a Bible, our ushers have some. You can just lift up your hand. We'll gladly deliver one to you, and uh, so you can have it. And if you don't have a Bible, you can just take it with you. This morning, we're going to talk about celebrations. Um, celebrations are awesome. It's good to celebrate things. Like the Cubby fans that after 108 years celebrated the Chicago Cubs winning the World Series. Or like the Tar Heel fans, right? I was just near Chapel Hill this week. The uh, men's basketball team won the NCAA basketball championship this week. So thank thank God March Madness is over. But we know about the the smaller celebrations, things like birthdays and anniversaries, graduations. Believe it or not, we have a three-year-old grandson now, Judah, our little ginger grandson. Debbie and I, this year, will celebrate 35 years, believe it or not, married. Hey, you know, it's not much because Ken Fowler is in his 58th year, so like some miles to go yet. And then, you know, graduations, our youngest son, Josh, graduates from college believe it or not, in a month. We celebrate when we finish a project. We celebrate when we find a place to live. We celebrate when we finish our taxes. How many are going to be happy when tax season's over? Thank God. Um, But there's a celebration that was predicted in the Psalms. A day would come when the true King of Israel would come to put an end to all unjust, injustice. This king would be good and humble. This king would bring salvation and usher in the kingdom. Ironically, he would ride upon a donkey and receive the praises of his people. He would enter the city through the eastern gate and offer himself to them as king. This morning we look at the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, Palm Sunday. But you know, looking back, this was something that the the, prof, the the Psalms had promised about a thousand years before the event happens. You know, this, this event, the triumphal entry, was contained in a promise, a prophecy in Psalm 118. So let me read a little bit to you from Psalm 118. It says, Open for me the gates of righteousness, and I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate through which... The righteous may enter. I will give thanks to you, my God, for you have answered me and you have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected, well, this has become the capstone, the cornerstone. This is the part you know. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. The day spoken of there by the psalmist would be the day that Jesus would enter Jerusalem and offer himself as king. Then it says in verse 25, O Lord, save us, Hosanna. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he, the king who comes, in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord has, is God. He has made his light to shine upon us. With bows in hand, we join in triumphal procession. The prophecy that was made 1,000 years before it happened was fulfilled on that Sunday when Jesus came to Jerusalem. So looking back, we see that God made a promise. But looking ahead, we also know that Jesus is coming back. You know, things are heating up in our world. Russia and Iran are in Syria. This week, the United States fired Tomahawk missiles at a Syrian air base wiping out the sarin gas. We um, have to believe that the second coming is nearer than when we first believed. Now, the second coming has two parts. Both start with R. The first part is called the rapture. The rapture is when Christians are taken out of this world. Now, there's a great debate, I'm sure you know about this, whether we're taken out before or after or in the midpoint of the tribulation. I believe that Jesus suffered the wrath of God on the cross. Therefore, we will not suffer God's wrath. I believe we'll be taken out before the tribulation. And I hope I'm right. (laughs) But for many Christians worldwide, there's a lot of tribulation going on. I just want you to know. The second part of the second coming is called the revelation. And if you read in Revelation chapter 19... This is what John was given, a prophecy, a promise, uh, a vision of what is about to happen. This is what he said. I saw heaven open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider's name is Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. The armies of heaven were following him with white horses dressed in fine linen, and out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with an iron a scepter. And he is the king of all kings. And he is the Lord of lords. See, the first time Jesus came, he came on a donkey. Second time he comes, he comes on a white horse. And the rider's name is faithful and true. Jesus is the faithful and true witness. The scriptures are faithful to God and true. When he comes a second time, he will come to make war, to conquer over his enemies, to bring justice to the earth and peace and to usher in his rule. And I'm looking forward to the second coming. So I've got some questions I want you to ponder. You can think about these through the week. What do I need to do in order to be prepared for the second coming? If I know that Jesus is coming back, right, what do I need to do to prepare? Someone's coming over for dinner, right? What do you need to to prepare? Jesus is coming back. How do we need to prepare? Back in the 1950s, when Eisenhower was president, he heard of a little boy, I think it was in Denver, who was very, very sick. So the president decided to stop in and visit with the family to cheer him up. So the presidential limousine pulled up to the house, The president got out of the car, knocked on the door. The father answered, and he sat with the family for a while. He met with the boy, and he said to the little boy, he said, son, would you like to ride in the presidential limousine around the block? So he took him for a little ride. Later, the press asked the father, how was it to have the president come to your house? He said, I like the president very much. I enjoyed his visit very, very much but only if I had been prepared. I didn't feel very prepared for his coming. The man hadn't shaved, hadn't taken a shower. He said, if I knew the president was coming, I would have cleaned up the house. I would have made some food. See, I felt pretty surprised and ashamed. What do you need to do to prepare your house, yourself, for the second coming of Jesus. Which brings me to a second question. (laughs) You're still thinking about that one, right? (laughs) What assignment have I been given? What am I living in? We're going to see in this story that Jesus is going to give assignments to his disciples. They're going to be asked to do something. You see, each one of us is given gifts and talents, abilities. The question is, what are we doing with these talents and gifts and abilities? What assignment am I living in? We feel here at Grace that one of our main assignments is making disciples. Yesterday we had another discipleship experience. We've now taken about 100 people through that experience. We're being asked by churches here in our city as well as churches around our country about becoming how to navigate becoming a discipling church. This week we joined the Real Life Discipleship Network. So we celebrate this church and the leaders God has raised up, the apprentices and coaches, the 21 groups that we have here in the church. We give thanks to God for each one of you. So the assignment. The third thing I want to ask you as we start is how much rejoicing, celebrating, shouting is going on in your life? Celebration brings joy to life. Joy makes us strong, and we can't continue long in anything without a spirit of celebration, without some joy, right? True? I think that one of my deficiencies is I don't celebrate enough. So we have a resident celebrator. Her name is Beth Wish. She'll ring the bell for you. And so I asked Beth, I said, Beth, uh, we need to have some, like, things that people celebrate, like national celebrations. So we found a few of them for you. The first one is one of Beth's favorites called National Burrito Day. That happened last week, by the way. You can still celebrate it if you like, but I think it was last Thursday was Na- National Burrito Day. That's some of the places were giving burritos, you buy one, get one free. Okay. But then there's also, coming up tomorrow, will be National Farm Animal Day there's a little sheep and lambkins, you know, out there in the field having a good time being celebrated. So we celebrate National Farm Animal Day tomorrow. And then on April 11th is National Grilled Cheese Sandwich Day. So if you want to have a grilled cheese that's on Tuesday, that's a day to celebrate grilled cheese. But that's not all. On The 13th is National Scrabble Day. You can play a game with your family, have a little Scrabble game going down on National Scrabble Day. And there's one more, I think, National Pet Day. There's (laughs) our pastor Scott with a cat. He's developed an affection for cats. (laughs) Mark chapter 11. Scripture reads that as Jesus came to the city of Jerusalem, the little town of Bethany, beside the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. So Jesus would come to Jerusalem, and the kings of Israel rode, believe it or not, on donkeys. A she-donkey was considered a pretty temp ride. So a donkey had this, was considered a noble beast, and only one donkey would be chosen to carry the king. This is the time of God's visitation. Jesus was a very intentional leader. We find in verse 2 that he gave directions to his disciples as to what to do. He said to two of them, go to the village that's ahead of you, and just as you enter, you'll find a colt there on which has never been ridden. The colt is being set apart. It's not broken. It's never been ridden on. So Jesus is going to ride an unbroken colt of a donkey. It's not the time for him to take the horse. It's the time for him to bring the donkey. And here's what I want you to do, Jesus said. Untie the donkey and bring him to me. It appears from the other gospels that the mother of the donkey also would be included. So the scene is of this mother and her baby donkey being brought to Jesus. And Jesus said, if anybody gives you a hard time asking, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Just say the Lord needs it temporarily and he'll send it back to you shortly. You know, it's okay to let people know you have needs. Jesus had a need. Jesus lived in poverty and he borrowed things. He would borrow a coin in order to pay the tax. He would borrow a cross on which to be hung. He would borrow a tomb in which to be laid. And here we find that Jesus is borrowing a donkey because he needed one, he didn't have one. Interesting that Mary most likely rode a donkey down to Bethlehem and Jesus is gonna ride a donkey into Jerusalem. It's okay to let people know you have needs. Hey, I need a minute. Hey, I need a couple of hours to work on this. Hey, I need my computer to work. I need this printer to work. Hey, I need my glasses, a reference to getting older. Hey, I need my cup of coffee. It's okay, because we all have needs, to let somebody know your needs. And so Jesus now, being vulnerable, lets his disciples know he has a need for this Verse 4. So they went out from the presence of Jesus, knowing what their assignment was. And they found the situation exactly what Jesus said it would be. They went to this place, they found the colt outside the street, and they untied it. And when the people asked the disciples, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing with that colt? They answered, just as Jesus told them to do. They simply were carrying out orders. They were doing what Jesus asked them to do. And the people let the colt go. I I like their sense of community awareness, right? It'd be something like, you know, someone's in your neighbor's car, right? You don't know this person, and they're sort of like, you know, opening the door to your neighbor's car. You say, hey, what are you doing there? like you're on the soccer field, right? And someone's picking up your son's ball and you're saying like, hey, what are you doing, right? So what's happening is that the disciples are you know, picking up this cold and his mother to bring back to Jesus because Jesus needs them. I believe that God gives us all, each one, assignments. We get the choice as to whether we're going to do what he asks us to do. And when we do it, we feel his joy and his blessing. Now people will sometimes question us, hey, what are you doing? So this donkey was waiting for his assignment. He was tied up and someone had to untie him from his post. He was waiting and someone had to lead him. He was brought to Jesus, his maker, and he did not resist his assignment. Jesus could have said to the donkey, this is my imagination, you are my chosen donkey. Of all the donkeys in the world, I choose you. You will carry me into the city. You will carry now your king. You'll take me down the mountain. There's going to be a lot of noise, so don't get too stressed out. We'll enter through the east gate, and when we finish our ride, you can tell your offspring that you carried The king into Jerusalem. I think Jesus was very tender. You know, when someone praises me for a sermon, say, like God spoke to me through you, Pastor R, I'll often say, if God can speak through a donkey, he can speak through me. And I'd also say that God can speak through you. And I'd also say that if this donkey can carry Jesus into the city, so you can carry Jesus into this city because this city needs jesus and needs someone to carry him this is what i call donkeyology that we're studying now the power of a donkey to carry jesus into the city and the power of you to carry jesus into this world verse 7 when they brought the colt to jesus they threw their cloaks on it (laughs) Now, why would the disciples put their cloaks onto this donkey? Well, the cloaks, the outer garments, serve as a saddle, kind of a cushioned ride. Jesus now would have a saddle to ride on on this donkey. And many people spread their cloaks on the road. Why did they wave the palm branches and spread their cloaks on the road? The cloaks on the road served as sort of a red carpet. This was Jesus' red carpet moment when they're sort of laying down their garments on his path. You see, when a king came to a city, the crowd came out to meet the king, to honor the king. The people would lay down their clothes, their outer garments, putting them on his path. It was a sign of submission to the king. Symbolically, we are under you. You are over us. And the palm tree was a national symbol. The last kingdom was, over, was the Maccabean kingdom. And on their money they put the palm to symbolize national identity. So what was happening was, verse nine, there were people ahead of Jesus in the city and there were those who followed him. They had followed him up from Jericho up to Bethany and there was a large crowd following after Jesus. It was very noisy, sort of like a ticker tape parade combined with a July 4th celebration. And people were in a pretty festive mood. I mean, the king of Israel has come. Well, there's not only a crowd following after Jesus, but there's a crowd ahead of him. You see, for the Passover feast, people would come from far distances to Jerusalem, and there they would stay with their families. And many of them would stay on the hillsides. So at nighttime, you would see these fires that were lit of families having conversation during the Passover week. It was sort of a national gathering of the people. So people had made pilgrimages to Jerusalem for Passover. And some would say that as many as 250,000 people were in the city. Now the city was teeming with people. And the word was getting out about Jesus. Here's a prophet who's powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And as, this, and as it were, there were two streams of people converging upon Jerusalem. There were those that were following after Jesus as well as those in the city coming out to see Jesus. And what were they shouting? They shouted, you see it, verse 9, Hosanna. Hosanna is an Aramaic Hebrew word meaning save us. If you wanted to praise your deliverer, you would say, Hosanna. If you wanted to petition your deliverer, you would say, Hosanna. These people were oppressed and conquered and occupied, and they shouted Hosanna to Jesus. You see, it had been a long time since they had a win, and they were looking for Jesus to give them a win. And the second thing they shouted over and over again is, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed be our Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides for us. Blessed be our Jehovah Shalom, the God who gives us peace. Blessed be Jehovah Rafi, the God who heals us of our afflictions. Blessed be Jehovah Ra'ah, the God who shepherds over us. Blessed be the God Yahweh Sadiq, the God who is righteous. You see, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And cry out to him, O Lord, save us. They said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The third thing they shouted was, Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. David was the greatest king, and he fought the Lord's battles, and he conquered over their enemies and gave the people peace. But there was a prophecy that David would have a greater son, that David's heir would have a kingdom, and that kingdom would be great, and that kingdom would never end. So they shouted praise. Like that. The children shouted praise to the kingdom of our father, David, about to come. And the fourth thing they shouted was Hosanna in the highest, praise in the highest place. You know, when Jesus was born, the angels sang glory to God in the highest. But on the day of his visitation, the people shouted Hosanna in the highest. It was a great day. It was a day unlike any other day when Jesus Christ received praise and glory and honor. But the Pharisees didn't like it. They were indignant. They said, Jesus, did you hear these children, what they are saying? And Jesus said, yes, from the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. The children heard their praise parents giving praise to God, and now they were welling up with praise to Jesus. It was a beautiful thing. It makes me think of the, little, the song. Maybe you know the song. Little children praising God. You know, when children celebrate, they shout and they sing and they dance. Like jumping up and down, jumping up and down, jumping up and down say hosanna here comes jesus You know the song riding on a donkey hosanna 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 to the king now i've got a part for you your part is to say hosanna to the king my part i'm going to say is here comes jesus riding on a donkey and you say hosanna 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 to the king ready Here comes Jesus riding on a donkey. I love that. That was beautiful. But it wasn't convincing. I want you to shout at this time. So I'm going to say to you, here comes Jesus riding on a donkey. I want you to shout as if you were there seeing Jesus, your king, coming to you. Okay? Here comes Jesus riding on a donkey. See, they they got noisy that day. They got loud. They started shouting stuff. So I believe that praise is befitting to the upright. I believe that praise changes your life. Praise begins to change us. It begins to change the atmosphere, the whole environment we are in. So I'm going to give you eight reasons I want you to praise God. You ready? Here we go. Just getting started. Number one, praise gets our focus off ourselves and our circumstances and puts our focus on God. In our selfie-focused world, we need the constant reminder that life is not about us. When we fix our eyes upon this world, listening to CNN, we feel the stress right, of this world. When we focus our eyes upon ourselves and our flaws and failures, we get depressed. But when we fix our eyes upon Jesus, then and only then does our soul enter into rest. God is great and greatly to be praised. We fix our eyes on Jesus because he is our hope. He is worthy of our praise no matter what we face from day to day. You know, if your life is not good, I will tell you something that you can praise God for, that God is good. That from your heart you can well up with praise that my God is good. Jesus said, my peace I leave with you. There was all kinds of chaos around Jesus. My peace I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Be not afraid. Psalm 35, 28 says, And my tongue will speak of your righteousness and of your praise all day long. Praising my Savior, right? All the day long. Learning to praise Him. Praise gets our focus off ourselves. Secondly, praise brings us to a place of humility. God created a vast universe to humble us. God made us to worship Him. God is our Creator and King. And when we praise our Creator and King, we admit that He is above us, and we are beneath Him. That God is infinite, and that we are finite. We acknowledge that God is in control, and we are not, our God is sovereign. Psalm 95 says, let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with a song of praise for the lord is a great god and a great king above all gods in our pride we relish in our self-sufficiency in our self-reliance in our independence in our pride we feel as if we are in control able to solve our problems and fix what's wrong but then we face a problem we can't fix we face a person we can't control so we humbly ask god for his help. That's why the scripture says to clothe yourself with humility, that your pride may be stripped away, that praise may flow from your lips. Number three, praise makes the enemy flee. Oh, I like this. Submit yourselves to God, right? Draw near to God and God will draw near to you and the enemy will flee. Praise pushes back the darkness that surrounds us. Praise puts God on the throne and makes the enemy flee. Praise blocks the attacks of the enemy. Praise dismisses the lies that are over us. Evil will not stick around when you begin praising God. God will fight our battles for us if we will only praise. In the story of Jehoshaphat, God miraculously defeated the enemy because of the people's praise of God, 2 Chronicles 20. And as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. At the sound of the name of Jesus, the enemy must flee. Fear must leave. Fourth, Praise leaves no room for complaining and negativity. (laughs) How many of you deal with a negative situation? All of you. Sometimes, even in our prayers, we can find ourselves complaining about our problems. Well, we used to say to our kids, no preaching in your prayers. But often our prayers have these complaints about our problems. And it's okay to complain, to get it out of our soul. God knows our hearts, our situations. God cares about all that concerns us. But when we praise, we focus on God. We're not centering our attention on the struggle. We're reminding ourselves of who God is, of what God has done, that he is all-powerful. And he's he's capable of taking care of us and all that concerns us. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities and heals all your diseases and redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Hebrews 13.15 By him, therefore, let us offer a sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. Why is it called a sacrifice of praise? Because when you're in the desert, the furthest thing from your mind is praising God. The sacrifice of praise is counterintuitive, you see. See, praise is not sort of like the caboose the caboose of the train, that when all is going well, now we'll finally praise God, right? It all worked out well, and now we're going to praise God. Praise is the engine of the train. It's what fuels the journey. Our praise to God, it takes us into His very presence. You see, we tend to operate on this earthly level, complaining about something, getting negative about life, looking at all that's broken, Sometimes I have great compassion upon mechanics because I just bring them what's broken, right? And they they fix it. It'd be easy to complain if you're a mechanic. So if you're a mechanic, thank you for what you do. Because we tend to look at what's broken, right? All the problems. But when we praise, we elevate from earth and we get heaven's perspective on the situation. Fifth, praise opens the gate to God's blessing. Ooh, how many need a little blessing? God wants to bless your life. And God will not hold back from you his goodness. Praise is how we open the gate to God's blessing. Psalm 100, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. You see, there was 12 gates around the city of Jerusalem. And through any of those gates you may enter. But there was one gate that would take you directly into the temple court, the eastern gate. And that was the gate through which Jesus came, presenting himself as the king. You see, the king wants to come through your gate. But you have to open the gate to let the king in. The king will come. You have to open the gate. You are the gatekeeper. And the gate is praise. Praise opens the gate to God's blessing. Number six, praise invites His presence. You see, God sits on a throne in heaven, but God would love to sit on the throne of your heart. God would like to draw near to you, be close to you. He'd like to manifest Himself to you. Psalm 22, God inhabits the praises of his people. God is the enthroned one, right? He's on the throne, but he he becomes manifest to us when his people begin to praise him. Oh, that we would just praise him this morning. Oh, that this would become a house of praise, a house of prayer, opening the gates of our hearts to him, permitting him to come in. And seventh, praise renews and refreshes our spirits. We are strengthened by God's peace, but we're refueled by God's joy. Through a heart of praise, we realize that God doesn't only change our situations, he begins to change us. Psalm 16. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. We need a little bit of that joy. The fullness of God's joy in his presence. And last, praise precedes miracles. Praise paves the way for God's power to be displayed, for miracles to happen. See, God has power, and we find ourselves in a situation where we are powerless. So we need to do P cubed. I'll teach you this, P cubed. Three Ps. We need to pause we need to pray, and we need to praise God. You say, I don't really believe you, Pastor R. Well, there came a man whose name was Paul and Silas, and they were in a prison. They had been beaten and flogged, thrown in the stock, stocks. It was dark and damp and dank in that prison. But here's what they did. they began to pr- They paused, they prayed, and they praised God. They began singing hymns. And God sent an earthquake. And suddenly, the um, jail popped open, right? The, the, the chains fell off. The, the doors of the prison popped open. God did a miracle because the people praised Him. Oh, that we would understand that God is the Alpha and the Omega. That God is the beginning and the end. He is the firstborn and he is the first to rise from the dead. Our God is alive. Our God wants to shake this place. Our God wants to move with praise. He wants his people to turn from their problems to praise and honor him as being overall. You know, my son Jimmy, I spent a couple of days in this week. One of the soldiers came and he said, I was out doing land navigation. And with my land navigation, I had my goggles and my weapon. And I was coming back from an all-night duty. And so I stepped into this hole. And (laughs) I lost my weapon and I lost my goggles. Now, this is no small matter when you're sort of on patrol to lose your weapon, to lose your goggles. And so he was going to, you know, check in, except he realized he didn't have his weapon. And so his girlfriend had taught him to pause, to pray, to pray and to praise God. He said, God, you know where this is. I don't know where this is. And he said he turned around in the the pitch darkness and took three steps, and he stepped on his weapon. He attributes all of that to pausing and praying and praising God. I'm just wondering if there's anybody here that needs to do some praising. Praising God who's over all the situations we are in, God who is sovereign over all the the things that concern you, God who is all-powerful, able to help us, let's lift our eyes from the problem to the hills, to the Lord from whence comes our help. Pray with me, would you please? Father, would you turn this place into a house of prayer? a house of praise where your people from the heart's level would praise you for your goodness, Lord, your faithfulness, your compassion, your mercy, your incredible grace that God flowing from the depths from within, that we would praise you, Lord, for you are deserving of our praise. You deserve highest praise for you are most high God. You are above all things. Father, teach us the discipline of praising you and praying to you in our times of trouble. You're a God who's very near to us. You're an ever-present help in our times of trouble. Help us be still and know that you are God. Meet us, God, as we praise you, as we worship you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us?